Hey everybody, it's Logic Bomb 82 from the Mature Minded Gamers. We are a group of adult gamers who have jobs and lives, but also several passions, including video gaming, board gaming, and much more. You can join us by visiting our website, MatureMindedGamers.com. Today we're bringing you our Star Trek podcast, where we cover the latest news and all things Star Trek. Good evening and welcome to the Mature Minded Gamers Star Trek podcast. I'm Brad and I'm joined today with our normal bridge crew, Will and Eric. Hey, hey. Hello. And special guest today, Kimmy. Hello. Kimmy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your Trek history? Like what, what series you like, what series you don't like, maybe your most memorable moment in Star Trek. Well, uh, my favorite series obviously is TNG. I've watched it, I don't know, a hundred times in my lifetime. I enjoyed just about all the series, though, uh, including Discovery and Picard. My favorite episode of TNG is The Offspring, followed up by uh, Yesterday's Enterprise. All right. Well, Eric, you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about the episode we're going to watch tonight? The episode we're going to cover is The Best of Both Worlds Part 2, but this starts Season 4 of The Next Generation. And Season 4 is the first season where we haven't had any major cast departures and no no changes of the crew as like, the, you know, the Doctor wasn't exchanged this time or anything like that. Uh, we get a big focus placed on the female leads, giving Beverly and Deanna both two episodes each. We get a lot of supporting cast members reappearing into Season 4. Uh, and we definitely get some more advancement to the serialization of the storylines. Uh, including the Duras-Romulans plots against the Federation that we've seen uh, start in Season 3 with episodes of Sins of the Father. We also see the big emergen of O'Brien, who actually gets a full name for the first time. We get a backstory for him in The Wounded, and we also see him actually get married in Data's Day, which is uh, pr- pretty cool. And then he also gets a full episode dedicated to his marriage which is kind of a, a different step for, for Star Trek to go. We also meet Alexander and Tasha Yar's sister. And then season four was quoted by Gene Roddenberry as being the most untroubled season of The Next Generation. There was several uh, writing staff changes, mostly because of the success from season three. A lot of them moved on to other projects. But there were some memorable ones that stayed, mostly being Michael Piller, who wrote... The Best of Both Worlds Part 1, and he fully intended to leave Star Trek and not come back for Season 4, and he did. He was happy because he didn't know how he was going to write himself out of the Federation beating the Borg, but he didn't think he was returning, so he wasn't worried about it. And then Mr. Roddenberry talked him into staying for another season, and so he was stressed out with trying to figure out how to get the Federation to defeat the Borg, who, you know, up until this point was an undefeatable enemy or, you know, didn't make mistakes and stuff like that. They came up with a very great plot, and that's when we're going to start out with The Best of Both Worlds Part 2. Uh, and this episode is obviously the continuation of the first one from season, the ending of Season 3, which was amazing in my opinion. And, and we get the Enterprise that's being commanded by Riker, who's pursuing the Borg, which is heading towards Earth. Basically, that's where we start out with this one. So this episode was nominated for four Emmys, winning one for sound mixing and sound editing. It lost in the visual effects and art directions. So let's get started with the best of both worlds part two. Brad, what did you think of part two of the best of both worlds? 
<clears throat> yeah, this is one of my oh, it's a, one of my favorite episodes of this entire series. You know, probably not my top episode, but still one of my favorites. Just the uh, character building we get out of uh, so many people in this. I like how uh, Riker gets the field commission a captain, uh, allows him to step up and be the leader that I think that we all hope he would be, or that that we think he should be. I actually think that that Shelby is a pretty reasonable matchup to Riker as well as first mate. I think that you know if for some some reason, we would have lost Picard here. The show probably could have carried on with Riker and Shelby together, and I think that it probably still would have been successful, maybe not as successful. I like that uh, we get to see a lot of Guinan, not just in screen time, but also in effect, the way that she talks to Riker uh, as though he's captain and is able to to speak into that relationship or speak into to how how to handle the situation like she would have with uh, with Picard. Um, I think that the most important thing she said this whole episode was that, you know, how the relationship between her and Picard was went beyond friendship and went beyond uh, family even. And she was at a position ready to let him go. And so that's what Riker needed to hear to to be able to do some things that Picard would not have been able to uh, foresee coming uh, as Locutus. Um, we get to see the battle bridge again, which is always kind of an interesting uh, or a, a cool and uh, fun thing to see uh, since we only get it a handful of times this whole series. I did notice one thing I haven't seen in any of the other times I watched this episode. So in uh, the battle bridge scene at time code 2446, there's actually a moment where Riker says, scramble the subspace codes with Riker 1. But if you watch closely, that's not actually what he and the ensign had said. It, their 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 mouth movements don't match the words, so it was something that they dubbed over in post. And I tried to read lip read a few times, and I didn't catch it. But th that's the first time in God knows how many times I've watched this episode that I've noticed that. So, and then down to the conclusion, like putting the Borg to sleep as a solution for this. If they would have just come up with that half an episode ahead of time, how many lives would have been saved at Wolf 359? I think that that Data is the most important character in this entire episode, even if he didn't get a ton of screen time and a ton of actual play for this. You know, obviously a lot of the focus going on Picard, but if it wasn't for Data, Earth would have been assimilated. You mentioned Guinan there, and I had that down as one of my notes, because what she said, and you referenced it, was that they had a her and Picard had a, a relationship that was greater than family? Do we ever find out what she means by this? And we haven't really seen it. And I thought maybe it was going to come out later, but I, I couldn't ever think of it coming into into play later on in the the next generation. Does that ever played out, or is that just something she says? We get the episode where uh, Data is sucked back in time, and um, it's the Mark Twain episode. And we see how Picard meets Guinan at a point when Picard and Guinan are already really close and Guinan has no idea who, she, who he is. And they kind of start the relationship there. But then there's that, you know, several hundred year gap between then and when they meet again that Guinan has to really to absorb some of the knowledge that that he talks about. And we'll talk about that again in greater detail later on. But that's a... I think that at least a good start to relationship. Yeah, who knows what kind of relationship they had when Picard was younger. I didn't think they act like they knew each other when she first was on the ship in season two or whenever it was. Well, but they were still developing the characters and everything. So, I mean, just like how Data changed, how Riker changed and Worf changed, you know, it's just character development. Will, what'd you think of this episode? This episode started off so anticlimactic. 
it was just like that huge buildup from the from the part one but they're gonna fire the deflector dish and it was like oh my god it's gonna it's gonna be some crazy it's gonna be some crazy stuff going on here and it's gonna like oh my gosh they're gonna blow up blow up uh you know the cutest they're gonna they're gonna kill picard and then they fire it and nothing happens <laughs> it's like okay well you know it's it you know i guess it lays to the point it's kind of dire situation for the federation and then it really compounds that with you know they talk about that the fleet's amassing at wolf 359 and and basically the board cube just decimates the the fleet i mean a lot of that obviously had to do with the information that uh picard kind of added to the collective mind of the borg and everything but i don't know it's just kind of like oh my gosh i kind of wish there was some sort of like the beginning i wish that deflector dish would have actually had some sort of impact but the fact that the when Reich or when the data and Worf beam over to the Borg ship, <laughs> I thought it was pretty crazy when, when Worf goes running up and you know he's holding Picard's arm down from getting hit and he goes, Data, help me, or whatever. And data just runs up there and <laughs> uh, it was pretty pretty cool how how you can see how strong data was. And they really kind of showed this as far as like Worf's physical prowess, but data just wrecking shit. And then also how they beat them off just in time um, to, you know, getting that, that shuttlecraft blowed up. But I thought that was pretty fun to watch. There's kind of like that. Oh my gosh, did they get him? You know, I mean, obviously, you know, they got him as far as like from the you know, looking back on it, but uh, it was cool. I don't like the fact that they were able to regenerate or heal Picard so quickly, how Dr. Crusher was able to solve that problem and get him, back to human state i mean especially when we when we start watching the, the picard show you know we can kind of see that the that the borg they're more like components that they've been replaced they've truly been assimilated so if data if picard is really this captain like why why wasn't more of them changed why wasn't more of them modified and, you know, that was really happened. I know it's probably the technology, the time for the show and everything, and they needed a way to bring them back. But I wish there was maybe something more there, uh, especially in, in retrospect, seeing this new show. But um, I, I feel like they they abruptly ended this with the feedback loop. It was just kind of just a cop out. I, I kind of wish there was almost been a three parter and they could have gone just a little bit more into Picard's recovery. And I know they kind of do over the rest of the season, but after this episode, it's kind of like, okay, we're on to the next thing. I wish they would have kind of played this out a little bit longer and not just been such a fast turnaround for Picard. I do like how Shelby and uh, Riker kind of leave on good terms, but I wish I would have just this episode just seemed like it was just a quick conclusion. I wish they had drawn that out just a little bit more. What'd you think, Kimmy? Well, I really did like this episode. It's one of the better episodes. This episode really showed just how powerful the Borg are and how unprepared the Federation was at handling. You know, when their original plan failed, they had to scramble and come up with a, uh, a new plan on how to defeat them. And really, honestly, they didn't really defeat them. They just kind of disabled them with the, the whole feedback. I also really liked the character development with Riker. Um, you really kind of get to see how what the Enterprise would be like with Riker as captain as opposed to Picard and how he grows becoming a captain and, and how to handle his crewmates and for example his uh, with Commander Shelby you know they didn't really get along at first but uh, he learned to work with them and they became a really good team by the end 
Right. I definitely agree with everything you guys have said. Will, you mentioned that uh, Picard was very quick to come back to being a human, I guess. And I had to think about that for a second because we see Seven of Nine do it and in Voyager, especially we see him rescue a couple different uh, Borgs and, you know, try to get them back into society. And it takes a long time and a lot of trouble. But every one of them are references, you know, having been assimilated for a long time. And I think that may have been what they were going off of. And being our first introduction to this happening, you know, they were kind of writing their own script. I think that's why it was so easy because he had only been a Borg for, you know, what, you know, hours at that point, not years like most of the other ones. I was just going to bring up that point that, you know, he doesn't actually have any implants that's required any kind of amputations or uh, removal of the IP or the eyeball. So all of the augments that he got seem fairly basic compared to the other augments that some of the board that's been bored much longer have. I like how they defeated the Borg using the loophole where it showed, you know, basically using their own technology against them, how they're all interlinked and data was able to, you know, kind of hack it. And then they're trying to hack the main systems, but they have, you know, protection up where he can't turn off the power or do anything to the main systems. But Picard is able to, you know, help him figure out how to beat the system and defeat the Borg. And I thought that was really cool. I didn't necessarily like it, how they went into self-destruct mode after they malfunctioned. But I mean, otherwise I think we just would have seen the enterprise planting bombs inside and blowing it, blowing it up or something, you know, it would have had the same conclusion either way. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a great episode and I think we totally see Picard and I think Picard acts different from here on out too. And we see a different Picard. And like you said, Will, he's, you know, kind of haunted by it. Like it, it was, they were really quick to get him back to being a human and he didn't, didn't really seem to bother him, but we see that it actually did later on. And I thought they did a good job with it. <clears throat> this kind of thing definitely would have changed him as a, as a captain. I mean, I think it humbled him that his, uh, his crew came back to get him. And I think we, we kind of get into some of that thought process at the, in, in the next episode, but you know, it makes him reevaluate his life and whether or not he's going, you know, space is really where he needs to be. So, um, you know, your comment on him being a different captain, I think that's, that's a guaranteed sure shot thing. The other thing I wanted to comment on is that one thing we don't see in this that we start to see a lot more of as the board progress is the way they assimilate. In this episode, it is a lot more of the arm augmentations or implants and things like that. Whereas later on, when we get into the uh, first contact and Voyager, we see that it's a lot more of the, what are they called? Nanobots? I don't remember what they're called. The the way that they assimilate is actually a lot more on a cellular level than it is just uh, augmentation and um, whatnot. So uh, I think the Borg also do a lot of evolution between now and then too. So I don't know. For them being the big bad, it's kind of nice to see where they started. So what do you guys think about the scene where it's at the very beginning where Riker picks Shelby to be his first officer? And I, I know Riker goes around to each of them and explains why he's doing it. You know, Worf, I need you at tactical. Data, I need you at, you know, ops. But still, I think I'd be a little butthurt. You have this new hotshot person on there in Shelby who's definitely skilled. Do you think they wanted to do more with that scene and they just ran out of time? Or do you think that's as smooth as it would really go over? What would the 10 forward scene look like? I don't know. People, a lot of people disgruntled. I mean, it's all, I've done a whole bunch of shit for this ship and I'm being passed up for, for somebody else that, you know, is, has less experience than I do with the position and the ship and the feel of the, the vessel, you know, 
I don't know. I mean, there'd be a lot of people that I, I think would be jaded. I mean, it really just depends on, I mean, the reasoning behind that Picard actually, or, or that Riker actually made that decision. I mean, I think he explained himself well enough and, and asked their opinions about it to, to I guess, I kind of alleviate that. But still, I mean, if it was me, I'd kind of be like, oh, well. I think I would be butthurt. He didn't, he didn't ask their opinion. He told them how it was. And I just think that scene was weird kind of to be there. And I wonder if they had planned another scene where they, you know, they talked about it. You know, why is Shelby doing this? But maybe not. Maybe I'm overthinking the whole situation. But I mean, I, I didn't think it was all that out of place because there definitely was that power vacuum and they needed to bring Riker into the captain role and he needed to have his his number one or chief of staff. And and I don't know. I mean, I try to put myself uh, in their brains and I don't think that Data or Worf are going to be upset with where they were stuck. I think they understood that was out of utility and not out of, you know, merit or anything like that. And uh, as far as anyone else is concerned, I think that the general feel was is that Captain Picard is coming back at that point in time, that they're going to get him back. And Shelby was just the person with the most experience in the in command to kind of slide into the number one position. The person that should have been most butthurt about it didn't have the ability to be butthurt. If I remember correctly, Data was the second in command, so he should have been the first officer. Um, but I believe had he become the first officer, he would not have been able to be in the position that he needed to be in in order to disable uh, the Borg eventually in the end. Yeah, that's a real good point. He would have been commanding the uh, saucer section instead of being where he needed to be. So I think it was the right decision to make her the first officer. I think you're absolutely right on that. Yeah, I definitely agree with you guys. I just kind of want to talk about it to what you guys thought. Because I thought it was kind of a funny scene. Did we talk about how the Mars defense thing got blown up like instantly? So when the Borg cube is heading towards Earth and the Enterprise is tracking them, we see these three little brown ships come at the Borg cube and they, it just annihilates them like instantly. And then next up we have, I think it's Data on the Enterprise say they've bypassed the Mars defense grid or something like that. And I was like, really? That was the Mars defense grid? Yeah, like why even waste the the scene? Why even waste the money to film that if all it's going to be is something so in, inconsequential? Well, I mean, this board cube just blew up 40 Starfleet ships. And you're going to send these little three things that look like shuttles to stop it? It just seemed really weird. And I, and I wish that, you know, obviously... I think it's probably the first time we've heard anything about a Mars defense grid. And then we, you know, we've been seeing it here in uh, Star Trek Picard and it's, you know, completely different, obviously, but may maybe they were just uh, showing us a little bit of uh pre-shadowing how weak the Mars defense system really is. Right. Yeah. It did seem really weak during this episode. I mean, I don't know what they were trying to portray, but I think they missed it. I think one of the reasons why uh, it was so weak and easily defeated is because they were trying to, show how powerful the Borg actually was. Um, they, they needed the Borg to be this overall godlike enemy that was just impossible to beat. Nobody can beat it. And then in the end, they went out. I wonder if they were supposed to show that before Worf 359. That would have made more sense to me. Like, oh, it got through our first defense, and then we have all these ships here at Worf 359 going to stop it, you know? Of course, obviously, it's in a different system, but... Like that would have made more sense to me. I mean, maybe that maybe that's what they were going for, and then they realized their mistake. 
that they had, you know, called it something else. But I, I don't know. It just seemed really silly. Overall, though, I love this episode. What, what's our final thoughts on it, guys? What's a rank? Because to me, this is one of the best episodes. Uh, you know, part one and part two together, obviously. But uh, part two is definitely, I mean, it sets up so much for the future. It's definitely one of my favorite. I think this is one of the most memorable episodes out of the entire series. I, I remember Lucutus and Picard becoming a Borg as, a, as watching it the first time as a child 30 years ago. Yeah, I'm going to rate this pretty high up for me, too, because it's definitely one of the, mo- the more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, influential episodes that sort of, again, I think I've talked about it before, it, it impacts Trek going forward from this point. It, it's the, yeah, I know I talked about this last episode, but it, it impacts Deep, Deep Space Nine the way that it starts. It impacts Voyager and the way they deal with the Borg. It impacts you know, a lot more of this series on the way that the characters change. It impacts, you know, several movies. It just, there's, there's a lot that happens in these two episodes that impacts so much through Trek that I think they're, they have to be up there on the list. I think for, for the buildup and what season one and two and with character development, and how well season three ramped up. This was a, an amazing conclusion to this season. And I think that moving forward, as each of you guys have said, it really just kind of ramps up what Star Trek becomes. And I really think this is the starting point for, for Star Trek to be the impactful um, science fiction, more influential science fiction uh, show. I mean, I know we've had the the original series and then the movies, but this is, I think, the the turning point for what made Star Trek more of a cultural phenomenon and not just a, a great science fiction. I uh, couldn't agree more. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us for season four episodes, The Best of Both Worlds, part two. And we did a small introduction to what season four has in store for us coming up soon in the next podcast. Make sure you check out our website, matureminedgamers.com. We do video games, board games, and lots more.